Matthew 17, verses 1 to 13. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you, that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Yesterday morning, whenever Roger brought his portrait up, and um, he said it was a portrait of Jeremiah and weeping over Jerusalem. And I'm sitting at the back and I said, who's Jeremiah? <laughs> and um, to my mind, I heard, well, Jerry, we have lots of Jerry's in Belfast. And I thought, here, there's an R and an E and an M in Jeremiah. And, well, accents don't always just get as well as they could do at times. So... I trust that the Jerry Myers uh, come across all right this morning and that you're able to uh, understand uh, what I'm saying because together we want to enjoy something from the Word of God, even with an Irish accent. Now, the little sheet I've given you is for no other reason than the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus is recorded for us in three of the Gospels. And the Holy Spirit, when he inspired each of the writers, he did so in order that some of them may include some things that the others omit. I think the essence of the truth of the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus is summed up in verse 32 of Luke chapter 9, which you'll see on your sheet. And it says this, they saw his glory. Now, that little phrase isn't included or even alluded to, really, in Matthew or Mark. But when we begin to think this morning of the 
transfiguration of the Lord Jesus, that is the essence. Peter, James, and John, they saw his glory. They saw his glory. The first miracle that the Lord Jesus performed was recorded for us in John's Gospel, chapter 2. And there the Lord Jesus turned water into wine. And it says, And he manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. And right throughout John's Gospel, as the Lord Jesus performed his miracles, whether it was the raising of Lazarus or the feeding of the 5,000 or the turning the water into wine, he was manifesting forth his glory. And many were blind to it and many didn't see it. But again and again, his glory was manifested. John's Gospel begins with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And what does it say? We beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And something happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter, James and John, as never had been demonstrated or seen thus far in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus, they saw his glory. They saw his glory. There's a lovely little tract, I think it's in most UBM boxes, or at least it has been over the years, who else could? That's the question. And it asks the question, who else could give sight to the blind? Who else could give hearing to the deaf? Who else could feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish? Who else could raise the dead? Who else could forgive sins? And in each of the miracles and in each, uh, and all of the ministry and teaching of the Lord Jesus, we look at him and we say, there's no one like him. There's no one like him. No one else could do what he did. And who else could rise from the dead? We sing at Christmas time, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And then it goes on to say, Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, heal the incarnate deity. The Lord Jesus was God manifest in flesh. And the heart of the transfiguration is this. For a brief few moments... The veil was removed, and what it is to see God, they saw him. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. And what the Lord Jesus and his miracle, what the Lord Jesus did in his miracles, and what he said with his teaching. What happened on the Mount of Transfiguration was even more transparent and more real to the physical eyes of Peter, 
James and John. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians, In him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. He is God with us. Not merely God is with us. We trust God is with us this morning. But that's not incarnation. Incarnation is God with us. Emmanuel. Or if you like, with us is God. And the Lord Jesus took three disciples up a mountain. And the veil was removed. And the glory that is God shone out. That's the heart of the passage of transfiguration. Many years before, Moses said this, Lord, show me thy glory. And the Lord said, no man can see my glory and live. Isaiah in chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is what happened for Peter, James, and John. They saw his glory. I wonder, do we see his glory? And does it move us to worship? Peter never spoke about it for 30 years. And on the back of the little sheet that I've given you, Peter gives his eyewitness account of what he says. Look what 2 Peter 1.16 says. For we have not followed cunningly, deceptively devised stories or fables when we made unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came from him such a, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him on the holy mountain. His majesty. His divine excellence, who he was, shone forth. And Peter, when they were coming down from the mountain, the Lord says, don't speak of it. Don't tell anybody until after I'm risen from the dead. Very briefly, the word transfiguration simply means to change into another form. The word transfiguration is derived from the Latin term that is used to translate the Greek word metamorpho, to change into another form. And it's the word from which we get our word metamorphosis. To change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. Christ's appearance was changed and was resplendent with divine brightness on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't want to multiply words lest I tread somewhere that I shouldn't go. But what Jesus was 
and who he was, the veil of flesh was removed, and who he was shone out in all its magnificent glory. Look what it says in verse 2 in Matthew. He was transfigured before them. In verse 2 of Mark, he was transfigured before them. And then you add to this as you read the account, the Father's voice of affirmation and confirmation. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the key word in that little phrase, I think, is this. It says, in whom I am well pleased. Not just merely with whom I am well pleased. We would like to think that as we live our lives, God is pleased with us. But as God looks into our lives, he sees all that shouldn't be there. And he can't say of any of us, in you I am well pleased. But as he looked into the life of his son, into the very heart of Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, he says, in him I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. Because you see, in him is no sin. He did no sin. He knew no sin. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And here he is on this holy mount. And the veil of flesh is removed. And what he is in all his essence, in all his person, shines out. It tells us in verse 2 of Matthew about his countenance. His face did shine as the sun. You multiply the words for yourself. We have had one of the most glorious summers ever in the UK. But it says this of the face of the Lord Jesus. His face did shine as the sun. Verse 29 of Luke. The fashion of his countenance was altered. His face shines like the sun. Resplendence emanated from his inmost being. His body began to glow. His face shines with divine glory. And Peter, James and John say, we beheld his glory. His clothing, look at verse 2 of Matthew. His raiment or his clothing was white as the light. Verse 3 of Mark. His clothing became shining, exceeding white as snow. So as no fuller or bleacher or launderer on earth could could enhance the whiteness. And verse 29 of Luke. His raiment was white and glistening. Don't ask me to put another picture on the screen. We can't do it. But somehow in spirit we begin to see our Savior in his glory. Who he is. The one who came from heaven. And here he is on a holy mountain and the veil that clothed his person, the veil of flesh, begins to be removed away and they begin to see him for who he really is. All his essential glory 
He radiated and shone through the human form in which he lived. He did not at this moment lay aside his human body. His bodily nature remained intact. His physical frame remained, but permeating it was the effulgence which showed forth deity and Godhead. In him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Someone has said this, the transfiguration was less a new miracle than a temporary cessation of a daily miracle. Let me say that again. The transfiguration was less of a new miracle than the temporary cessation of a daily miracle because the veiling of his glory as he walked on this earth was the real marvel. How could he be here amongst us and people not know that he is the eternal God? The real miracle was that his glory was veiled as he walked on earth. But on this wonderful occasion, his majesty and his glory appeared and was made manifest to the human eye. That's the essence of the transfiguration. And Peter says we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Very briefly, a number of those words that we've listed on the back of the sheet, the three who with him, uh, 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 his companions. Many years ago I heard a brother at our breaking of bread service, he talked about this particular incident in the life of the Lord and I remember the little outline that he used. He said this, the privilege of the three, Peter, James and John, the other nine weren't there. The privilege of the three The presence of the two, Moses and Elijah, the preeminence of the one, they saw no man save Jesus only. The privilege of the three, the presence of the two, the preeminence of the one. Three times the Lord Jesus took these three disciples aside. Number first occasion He took them into Jairus' house when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, Peter, James, and John. There they saw his power. He was able to raise the dead. Here on the mountain, he took them aside and they saw his glory. They saw his glory. And then he took them aside to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there they shared his sorrow. Peter, James, and John. And brothers and sisters, as we come this morning, the emphasis here must just be, Lord, show me thy glory. Let me see you for who you really are. Let me worship you. Let me know you, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, to see him in his glory. So you have the companions. Then you have the conversation, because the conversation is with Moses and Elijah. Look what it says in verse 3 of Matthew. 
And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. But Luke tells us the subject of their conversation. They appeared in glory and they spoke of his decease, his death, which he would accomplish in Jerusalem. That was the thing that Moses and Elijah picked up in conversation as here they appear on this holy mountain. Imagine of all the subjects that they could have spoken about, the virgin birth, even the choice of the disciples. What about Judas? How is it the nation have rejected you? How is it they didn't believe the Old Testament prophets and all of the types and the figures? But they didn't speak of those things. What did they speak of? They spoke about his death. They spoke about that moment when he would go to the cross and when as the Lamb of God he would bear away the sin of the world. What a subject on a holy mountain. And then people make emphasis on so many different things. But Moses and Elijah, on this holy, sacred occasion, they spoke of his decease. And then the word in the sentence is this. They spoke of his decease, which he would accomplish. You see, that's why he came. All the way from the Father's glory and all the way from the Father's presence and veiled himself in flesh that he could go to the death of a cross. The death of a cross to accomplish salvation for everyone who will believe. What a saviour. The Lord Jesus and they saw his glory. Whenever that begins to happen, Peter says in verse 32 of Luke, But Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they, say, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tents or tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. What do you say when you're in circumstances like this? This was the greatest moment Peter had ever experienced in all of his life. Moses and Elijah physically standing in front of him, Christ in his glory, dazzling, shining, the voice of God the Father from heaven, the cloud, for these moments, heaven had ceased to be far away. Heaven was close to Peter. And he says, Lord, could we stay here forever? Let's make three dwelling places. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But he didn't know what he was talking about. And sometimes... Just our rationale and our logic when we get caught up with these realities, we don't know what we're saying. Let's never leave this sacred spot was really what he was saying. Let's stay here forever. This is heaven on earth. This is heaven on earth. He was at a loss what to say. He was afraid. He had been asleep. And then it says just after that that the cloud came and overshadowed them. 
We all know that the cloud in the Old Testament spoke of the presence of God. As they journeyed, the cloud went before them and behind them. The cloud indicated that the Lord was dwelling in the tabernacle. And here we have the cloud again. God was present. God was here. And then it says the cloud overshadowed them. Just very briefly, that word overshadowed occurs five times in the New Testament. Three times in these gospel records at the Transfiguration. It occurs when we read of the conception of the Lord Jesus in the womb of the Virgin. And it appears once in the book of Acts. When we read of the word overshadowed, it says, the angel explained to Mary when she said, how can this be that I would give birth to the Son of God? He says, the Holy Ghost will come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore, that, that also that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the, the Son of God. The word overshadowed there brings before us the power of God. But when we read of the word overshadowed here in verses 34, or rather in these verses here in regards to uh, the, the transfiguration, when it says the cloud overshadowed them, the emphasis of the truth is not so much the power of God, but the presence of God. The presence of God. God was there. Christ, his glory was shining through. And the voice said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. But then the cloud removes. Moses and Elijah remove. And then it says they saw no man save Jesus only. How sweet. They saw no man, verse 8 of Matthew, save Jesus only. The law, Moses had said all that he had to say and he was now silent. Elijah and the prophets have said all that they have to say. They're now silent and removed. And now God in these last days has spoken unto us and is speaking unto us through his Son. And then we come to the conclusion. It says as they come down from the holy mountain, verse 36 of Luke, and when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone and they kept it close. A cursory reading of that little word close would mean they kept it secret. But if you look at the word, it's a little bit more than that. They didn't speak about it. Not even it would seem amongst themselves. Sometimes we hear people talking about things and you say, well, there's some things you're best not speaking about. And Paul saw a vision in chapter 12 of, or he saw a vision and in 2 Corinthians 12, he said it was over 14 years ago. And whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But you know, you need to be careful about talking about experiences like this. And the only thing that Peter ever said that we read is in chapter 1 of Second Peter. But they kept it secret. They did not speak about it until after his resurrection. Imagine if they'd come down from the mountain and they were to say to the other disciples in the crowd, we've been up a mountain. We've just seen Moses. We've just seen Elijah. 
Oh, and by the way, Christ, his glory shone through. They would have been locked up as being insane. But it was real. It was true. They would have been considered fanatics and delusional. It would have just brought further criticism and hindered the work. Be careful about talking about experiences like this. Not that they're not real, but they're not for public consumption. They're for you and the Lord. Keep your emphasis on the things that people can identify with. The transcendent glory which had been upon him as the Lord Jesus comes down from the mountain has subsided. The heavenly visitors have departed. And even the Father's voice is only a distant memory as they come down the mountain. But the truth is this, for you and me, Jesus was still with them. That brings it right close into our room. I'm not going to ask any of us to try to go out and have an experience like this, but we can all go out and say, Jesus is with me. The fact was, that fact was their greatest comfort. Visions can be very stimulating. Electrifying moments of spiritual ecstasy ecstasy may be thrilling. Mountain retreats may lift the soul to unprecedented heights of joy. But none of these last forever. We learn, and as they make their way down to the multitudes and to the other disciples and to a hostile world, all that they had experienced up there, they left there. But as they came down, Jesus was still with them. And he never leaves us, nor forsakes us. They saw his glory. But then they went back to the work that they had to do. As we come to a conclusion, the verses that really I felt just summed it all up for me was this. Have a look at two verses as we finish. The first is in Second or sorry, First Corinthians and chapter two. The First Corinthians and chapter two, and. Uh, I'm watching the clock, but we will read these just to finish. And it's verse number six, just for the sake of time. However, we speak wisdom among those who are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the, wis- nor of the princes of this world, uh, of that which is, sorry, my phrase, I've just got a wrong pick a verse here for one moment. Let me just see where this is. Yeah, verse 7 is where we want. But we speak the wisdom of God, I'm right, in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom of God, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's a verse that really says much when you think about the transfiguration. The one who was transfigured on this mountain was crucified on a cross. Help me to understand it. Help me to take it in. What it meant for thee, the Holy One, 
to bear away my sin. They crucified the Lord of glory. They crucified him. They crucified him. They nailed him to a tree. And there he died, a king crucified, all to save a sinner like me. We beheld his glory. Had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The other verse is this, John 17. And a brother last evening quoted John 17 to me. And this wasn't originally just where I was finishing. But look at this, John 17. Look what it says at the very end of the chapter. Verse 24, John 17. Jesus is praying many things, but this is what it says. Father, I will that those also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. What does the Lord Jesus want for each one of us here this morning? Father, I will that they may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. And what Peter, James, and John saw, the Lord says, I want you all to see. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He brings a poor, vile sinner into his house of wine. I stand upon his merits. I know no other stand, not even where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. For the Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Amen.